Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast that seeks to recover authentic Christianity and live it out today. As we saw last time, Solomon's coronation set a precedent as the first son of David. By learning to recognize this archetype, we can spot intentional enactments later on. In this episode, Pastor Victor explores the striking parallels between Solomon's anointing and Christ's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Next, he considers how the first coming of our Lord into Jerusalem in peace on a donkey differs from his second coming, which will be on a war horse ready for battle. Here now is episode 432, Son of David, part 4, Jesus Comes as King. We are going to have some fun. You're going to see some really great things from the scriptures. The Bible is, is so cool, and uh, God is awesome. We just finished talking about Solomon being anointed, the son of David, to take the throne, and the specific way in which he was anointed, I just hinted at a little bit, and we're going to talk about how in Jesus we see some amazing things. Let's talk a little bit about where this happened. We read in 1 Kings that this happened in a place called Gihon. Most scholars and historians recognize Gihon as the location of a very critical spring to the residents of Jerusalem. It was outside of the main part of the city of David and perhaps on the mountainside or in the Kidron Valley. The wording used in 1 Kings 1.33 to identify Gihon is that they would bring him down to Gihon. And it implies that the location is lower or away from David's royal residence in Jerusalem. That's one way we know. The Jewish historian Josephus mentioned that Gihon, when he was talking about Jerusalem, was outside of the city. So Gihon wasn't in Jerusalem proper. It was on the outside of the city. In 2 Chronicles 33, verse 14, it's mentioned that during, these are years later, that during Manasseh's reign, he had some construction projects on the outer wall of the city of David. And the construction projects were on the west side of Gihon in the valley, the southeastern side of Jerusalem, even to the entrance of the fish gate. This puts Gihon just below the city of David portion of Jerusalem and outside of the city proper towards the Kidron Valley and the Mount of Olives. The Gihon Spring, this is from the Jewish Virtual Library on Biblical Water Systems. I mean, if you wanted to have a library, that's the kind of library to have, right? The Gihon Spring, the only source of water of the city, emerges in the Kidron Valley east of the city of David. The spring emerged in a cave on the eastern slope of the city of David above the Kidron Valley, and from there, water flowed into the valley, watering the terraced agricultural plots on the slope of the city of David. So in other words, Gihon, which is where Solomon was anointed, they left what's called the city of David, which was the old part of Jerusalem. Essentially, what we have here is Jerusalem is a mountain, And on the other side of Jerusalem, across a valley, is the Mount of Olives. You've heard that Jesus talked about and was there often. And then in the middle of the two mountains, you have a valley, and it's called the Kidron Valley. So if you look at me for a second, you can imagine Jerusalem is over here, the Mount of Olives is over here, and in the middle you have the Kidron Valley, okay? And on the slope of the mountain in which Jerusalem is on, is where Gihon probably was. It wasn't necessarily right in the valley, 
but it was on the bottom of the mountain. So if Solomon's going to be anointed the king, they leave Jerusalem and they kind of go to the, towards the bottom of the mountain and that's where they anointed him and that's where this great spring was, the Gihon Spring. I'm kind of laboring a little bit to talk about where Gihon was because this is what we've just witnessed. Solomon, the son of David, the next king of Israel, is riding on a donkey into the city of Jerusalem with crowds growing while choruses are singing, Long Live the King. He's being proclaimed the rightful heir of the kingdom while an imposter attempts to sit on the throne. Now, if you are familiar with the Bible at all, if you're familiar with the New Testament, or even if you grew up in a church culture of some sort, this should bring our attention and our mind to a near identical scene that plays out in the same place with Jesus, what's called the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday. Clearly, and we'll see now as we break it down a little bit, Jesus, when he does what he does on Palm Sunday, he knew what he was doing in an intentional way in light of what Solomon had done in 1 Kings. He isn't haphazardly riding in on whatever he can find or randomly approaching some unknown town or place. So with the 1 Kings chapter 1 account in mind, let's consider what the Gospels tell us. And we'll be in our notes for a little while here. So the mode of transportation that Solomon comes in on, it says that it was a mule... And uh, the New Testament, we'll read in a minute, Jesus came in on a donkey. Well, the Greek version of the Old Testament uses the exact same word that is used in the New Testament of what Jesus wrote on. So we're talking about the same thing. A mule, a donkey, like a farmer might be able to say, well, there's a difference. But technically what we're talking about here, we're talking about the same animal. For a king to be able to ride into his city on a donkey indicates that he's coming in peace during a time of peace. He's approachable by his people and not a cruel ruler. The contrast would be a great horse or an elephant in some regions, which would symbolize a military ruler coming to conquer or to assure his people of his strength during a time of war. John Piper said this. He said, Jesus has chosen to act out the fulfillment of this prophecy and to declare his kingship in the action of riding on a donkey. This means, yes, I am king. And that's what the prophet says when it means, behold, your king. But he's saying, I'm gentle and lowly. I'm not in my first coming on a white war horse with a sword and a rod of iron. I'm not coming to slay you. I'm coming to save you this time. Today is the day of salvation. So when Solomon rides in on a donkey, it's an indication that there's the king is here and it's a time of peace. And if he feels safe enough, To ride in on a donkey, times must be good. And Jesus is doing the same thing in his approach. And let's remember what the crowds cried out on Palm Sunday. And I hope things are firing in your head as we read this in light of last week. We know Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, but let's observe what the crowd said. In Matthew, this is one of the few events that is recorded in all four Gospels. It's pretty significant. Matthew 21, verse 9, the crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Mark 11, verse 9 and 10, those who went in front and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, which is a cry that, you know, we, we would be saved. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. So like if you have a memory of what happened on Palm Sunday, we remember, oh, Jesus came in on a donkey. They had palm branches and they all shouted and it was so wonderful. And they were like, Hosanna. But they said more than that. They said, Hosanna to the son of David. And blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. That's what they were saying when he did this. In Luke 19.38, they were shouting, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. John 12, verse 13, A large crowd took branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Isn't that amazing what they were saying? Again, like with the background of what we understand from last week about the Davidic covenant, what we just read Solomon did, now looking at what Jesus did with this information, brings new life to this record. Palm Sunday was kind of lame growing up, right? It's like, what's this all about? Like, let's get to the cross. Let's talk about the resurrection. But man, Palm Sunday had quite the significance in its original time. Jesus of Nazareth, who had been preaching, he's going to die in a week. He comes to Jerusalem, God's city. He's riding on a donkey. And as the people are coming out to see him, they're proclaiming, it's the son of David. Blessed is the coming kingdom of David. Blessed is the king of Israel. Isn't that amazing? The crowd does not miss this moment. They know exactly what Jesus is claiming in this act. And if you're entering Jerusalem on a donkey, you're identifying yourself with King Solomon, the first son of David, to sit upon David's throne. This is a messianic act. So let's talk about where this happened. We know, as we read in 1 Kings, that Solomon was anointed and proclaimed king in Gihon, which as we've discussed in the picture show, it's an important spring outside of Jerusalem. It was located on the side of the mountain or at the base of Mount Jerusalem where it's located, which is Mount Moriah or Zion. And this may be where the parallels between the two events end. And I say that because traditionally, Jesus' entry to Jerusalem has been pictured with Jesus entering the city proper and the crowds gathering as he rides on a donkey through the city streets. That's what I think of when I think of Palm Sunday. I think of this uh, up on the wall. This picture of Jesus is what I think of. I think of Jesus in the city of Jerusalem where we know Solomon was outside of the city. Jesus was in the city, and they were proclaiming these things, right? Pictures like this, or here's from a a movie where he's in the city, and the crowds are lined up, and they're proclaiming these things. But what does the Bible actually say? Well, let's look at Matthew. Turn to Matthew 21 in the New Testament. This is so cool. And we'll start in verse 1. This is just retelling the story again, but look for the clues about where Jesus is. Where did this happen? Where did the uh, so-called triumphal entry happen? Verse 1, when they had approached Jerusalem, and this is Jesus and his disciples, and had come to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village opposite you, and immediately you'll find a donkey tied there with a colt, and untie her, and bring them to me. Uh, If anyone says anything to you, you shall say to them, the Lord has need of them, and immediately... Uh, He will send them. Look at verse 6. So they go do that. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them. And they brought the donkey and the colt, and they laid their coats on them, and he sat on their coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats in 
the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. The crowds were going ahead of him, and those who followed also were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. Then what happens after that? When he entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? So verse 1, it tells us that they are approaching Jerusalem, and they're at the Mount of Olives. They stop there. They go get the donkey. They bring it to Jesus. They lay the coats on it. They start getting the palm branches and laying their coats on the road. And then they make their way with the crowd before them and behind them, shouting, It's the Son of David, Hosanna in the highest. And then after that, he enters Jerusalem. Mark says the similar thing. So let's go and jump to Luke chapter 19. If you want to look at it in Mark, if you don't take my word for it, it's Mark 11. And then we'll go to Luke 19 now. Luke chapter 19, and we'll pick up in verse 28. After he had said these things, he, talking about Jesus, was going on ahead, going up to where? Jerusalem. And he approached Bethpage and Bethany near the mount, which is called Olivet, the Mount of Olives. And he sent two of the disciples. Remember the professional-looking diagram, you have Jerusalem and the Mount of Olives and the Kidron Valley in the middle. We thought Gihon might be about here. So they're stopping at the Mount of Olives. Verse 30, go to the village ahead of you there, and as you enter, you'll find a colt tied on which no one has yet ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. Verse 35, then they brought it to Jesus. They threw their coats on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he was going, they were spreading their coats out on the road. As soon as he was approaching, near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all of the miracles which they had seen, shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. The ESV on the wall here says it this way. As he, Jesus, was drawing near, he's already on the donkey, Already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice. So from Matthew and Luke, he's not in Jerusalem. He's coming down from the Mount of Olives, making his way to Jerusalem when the crowds are shouting, blessed is the son of David, the kingdom of David, the king of Israel. Let's look at John chapter 12, just because we got it. John chapter 12, verse 12. On the next day, the large crowd who had come to the feast, talking about the Feast of Passover, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of the palm trees and did what? Went out to meet him. They began to shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And he sat on the donkey as it is written. So John tells us that the multitudes that were in Jerusalem for the Passover when they heard that Jesus was coming close, we know from Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he, was, he stopped at the Mount of Olives to get the donkey. They left the city and met him. This is crazy. And by crazy, I mean awesome. And by awesome, I mean wicked awesome, right? <laughs> what we see from Scripture, although the tradition in our mind, at least my mind, is you know, Jesus entered the city and everybody's like, oh, it's Jesus, right? He's in Jerusalem. But this happened outside of the city as Jesus approached Jerusalem on his way down from the Mount of Olives, making his way towards Jerusalem. This is very, very close to the exact place where Solomon was proclaimed king outside of the city on the side of the mountain 
in Gihon, and I want to bet you, just because God is cool, that it probably was the same place. It's possible that he is at the, at the exact or near the exact location of Solomon's anointing and coronation. And why not? This whole thing is a mirror of what happened with Solomon. It's so cool. This moment that we read in the Gospels was prophesied about generations after Solomon and generations before Jesus. The prophet Zechariah called upon the people of God to keep their eyes open for the following. Zechariah 9.9 Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a what? A donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So again, this act of Jesus is more than just a casual Sunday donkey ride. (laughs) Jesus was intentional in this act, and he is, in his most dramatic and public act, claiming to be the Messiah, the King, the Son of David, a new Solomon who will bring salvation. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing, and the crowds understood it as well. You know, I was trying to think of a parallel in our culture. If someone who was becoming well-known amongst the people of our nation called for a big rally on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial and started giving a speech with the phrase, I have a dream, we would all go, hold on a second, somebody's already done this, right? That's what Martin Luther King Jr. did. But if someone went to do that, set up in the same place, and said the same thing, we would, we would see that they are attempting to claim some sort of mantle or uh, identity with that act. If some political candidate you know, got in a little boat, put on a white wig and a blue military uniform, and rowed his boat across the Delaware River in the middle of winter, we would be like, most of us would be like, I don't know what you're talking about. But some of you who've watched the History Channel would know that's what General George Washington did in the Revolutionary War, right? Uh, if you, if you want to be a successful Democratic candidate, you want to claim that you fall in line with Franklin Delano Roosevelt. If you want to be a successful and popular and appealing Republican candidate, you claim the mantle of Ronald Reagan. You say, I'm a, you know, you, maybe you wouldn't say I'm a new Reagan, but you would refer to him and you'd go to his birthplace and you would quote him, right? And people who know the original would go, you're trying to do something here. That's what Jesus is doing. He gets on a donkey, the Mount of Olives, and rides towards Gihon on his way to Jerusalem, and everybody's proclaiming him the king. They're saying, blessed is the coming of the kingdom of David, the son of David, save us. You know why? Because that's what the son of David did in Solomon's day, and that's how the people responded. And that's what Jesus is doing, and the people are like, hold on a second, maybe this is the guy. Because Zechariah told us that's how it was going to happen. The king would ride in on a donkey. So let's go back to our notes here and think about this. He is riding in on a donkey, being proclaimed as king, while another king, this is talking about Jesus, while another king, the Roman Caesar, and ultimately Satan, the ruler of this age, are claiming the throne. He rides in with the people shouting, Long live the king. When Solomon rode in as king, his enemy fled away and he took his rightful throne. When Jesus rode in as king, 
He was coming to conquer the enemy, sin and death, so that he could take his rightful throne, an eternal one. For only days later, the same crowd that shouted Hosanna would be yelling crucify. Before Jesus could take over the world and rule on David's throne, the world's sin problem needed to be addressed. For without the sacrificial payment of Jesus' death on the cross, no one would be able to join in the eternal element of the kingdom of God. So before he comes to take the throne, he came and took his cross. And so while the crowds of that day did not understand all that would happen, looking back we can see that, that for Jesus to fulfill all that the Messiah was prophesied to accomplish, he would first come as a servant and die for the sins of the world, and then return as king and rule on David's throne forever. You don't come in as king, take over the world, and then die. You come, you die, you give your life as a sacrificial payment for others to then join you in that day when you're ruling forever. And return he will. And the scene of this event is part of the final coming of the king as well. In Zechariah 14, verses 3 and 4, it says that the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as when he fights in the day of battle. Verse 4, In that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives will be split in its middle from the east to the west by a very large valley, so that half of the mountain will move towards the north and the other half towards the south. This prophecy in Zechariah tells us that the agent of Yahweh is going to come and stand on the mountain, the Mount of Olives, and the mountain is going to split, leading a path. Instead of having to come down the mountain, there'll be a valley and a pathway for him to walk right into Jerusalem. You know, we talked last week about how the Jewish uh, tradition understands the promise of the Messiah and things like that. Jewish tradition is that the Messiah, when he comes, and they believe he hasn't come yet, when he comes, he will come to the Mount of Olives and walk into the city. They'll walk into the city. They believe that the judgment and the resurrection will begin on the Mount of Olives when the Messiah touches down there. And that's what they believe because of these verses. They believe that when the Messiah comes, he's going to come to the Mount of Olives because it says that in Zechariah 14. So much so that one of the uh, most prominent burial grounds in all of Israel is the Mount of Olives. Because let's catch the judge while he's in a good mood is, the, <laughs> is what the thinking is. And so they, bear, they have burial grounds on the Mount of Olives so that when the Messiah comes, they'll be first in line and catch him while he's in a good mood, I guess. That's what Zechariah 14 says. So this same place, the Mount of Olives, where Jesus came and made his ride into Jerusalem, is where the Messiah is going to come on the last day. In Acts 1, verse 9 through 12, it says the following. And after he, Jesus, had said these things, he was lifted up, while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. This is after his resurrection. This is his ascension. And as they were gazing intently in the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking in the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Jesus ascends to heaven. They look up. They're watching. Two angels come and say, why are you looking up in heaven? And the disciples go, because he just was here and now he's up there. But they didn't say that out loud because they were shocked. And the angels say, in the same way that you saw him leave, he's going to come back. And look what the next verse says. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, 
which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. So even the New Testament confirms that Jesus ascended to heaven from the Mount of Olives, and the angel said to the disciples, just like you saw him leave, he's going to come back. Zechariah tells us it'll be back to this mountain. So he starts his first entry to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, and when he's coming back, he's going to come back to that mountain and take over the world. Jesus has come as a gentle king to be received by his people. Those who accept his invitation and want his rule will turn to him. And he will come again, and all the earth will bow before his throne. And he will ride again, but this time not on a donkey. And let's go to Revelation 19. Verse 11, John sees a vision and says, I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He's clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that With it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepresses of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. It's a vision of the second coming of Jesus when he comes in victory and power, and the vision is that he's on a white horse with a sword coming out of his mouth, with his eyes like flames of fire, and all the armies of heaven behind him. Not just Jewish peasants doing their best to give him a pep rally, but all the angels and the armies of heaven and the saints that he's resurrected to join him in establishing and setting up his kingdom, which he will rule forever, will begin on that day. He's going to come to the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives is going to split, and he's going to walk into Jerusalem, and he's going to take his rightful place on the throne of David, because Jesus, the Son of David, the Son of God, will come back to rule forever. Amen? And and we see all of this unfolding from 1 Kings chapter 1, where we see the first Son of David anointed in this special place and proclaimed while he rides in on a donkey, long live the king, The son of David is here. And Jesus, on that great day on Palm Sunday, made his way from the Mount of Olives towards the city and probably took a pit stop right around Gihon as the people all proclaimed, the son of David is here. He came into the city that day to start what would be the most difficult week of his life where he died for the sins of all the people in that crowd and all the people in this room and all the people watching and all the people of this earth so that one day we could join him as he rules as king forever, because that is the heart of his father, that it wouldn't just be for a few, but it'd be for all who call upon that name. Amen. Next week, we will learn what the world will be like when Jesus comes back by looking at the kingdom of Solomon. Well, this brings this episode to a close. What did you think? Come on over to restitutio.org and find episode 432, Jesus Comes as King with Victor Gluckin, and leave your feedback there. We'd love to hear from you. 
Also, in the show notes, I've got a link to the original PDF for this class to uh, to see any scriptures or other references that Pastor Victor made, which you may be interested in. I also wanted to let you know that I've got a number of interviews coming up. Uh, this class on the Son of David goes for six episodes, and we're in episode four here. So we've got two more, and then after that, I'm lining up a number of interviews with different people on interesting subjects. So stick around, and I don't really want to say more than that yet until I have things firmly booked and recorded and so on. But I think you will be interested to hear from these different guests. As always, if you have any ideas on episodes or future topics to consider or individuals to interview, I'd love to hear from you. And you can email me at sean at restitutio.org. Well, that's it for today for me, everyone. Thanks for listening to the end. If you'd like to support us, you can do that at restitutio.org. We'll catch you next time. And remember, the truth has nothing to fear.